may keep your seat. Good to see everybody out tonight. Page 309 in the Brown Book. Oh, my. 
see all of you tonight. Pray that all of you have had a good week thus far. And looking forward to what the Lord's going to do for us tonight. Amen. Um, as far as announcements go, we've got one major announcement, which will be the 24th of this month, which is our cleanup day, a work day around here at the church. Uh, at 10 o'clock that morning, we're asking everybody to come with mention. If you had a pressure washer, to bring your pressure washer, but we've scrubbed that idea. If you got a pressure washer, don't bring it. Uh, use it at your house. But uh, anyway, uh, it will be at 10 o'clock on the 24th. We're asking everybody to come that will, and we'll work together. If we get enough hands, it shouldn't take us too long. To We really want to clean up the chairs and tables over there in the fellowship hall and some other things. So uh, you come and help us out on the 24th. And as far as our prayer request goes, um, we've got a lot on the prayer list already tonight. We need to remember our own Carolyn Watkins and uh, Gary Davis. We need to pray. We need to put Brother Al Williams. Uh, he and his wife have been visiting us. We need to put Brother Al on our prayer list and pray for him. Uh, we need to pray for Hannah Hurd, Martha Wilkerson, Sherry Seabolt, Bobby Jordan, Kirk Barrett, and Pam Shadburn. That will be John's wife. So we need to pray for all these. How about your prayer request tonight? Anybody you want to put on our prayer list? What's his name? Anyone else tonight? Jerry Nye, one of our missionaries, and he's in critical condition. We need to pray for him. Anyone else tonight? Someone call my name. 
Rodney Stevens. Anyone else tonight? Anybody else? We all need prayer. Amen right there. And I need it. You need it. Let's pray one for the other and lift each other up to the Lord. And all these names that's been called out. The Bible says, call unto me. This is, this is a promise of God. He said, you do this. Call unto me. I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. And uh, that's a promise from the Lord. He will not mock us about this thing called prayer. He will answer us, he said, and, that's, and we can take that to the bank. So let's all gather. So good to see Sister Jennifer with us tonight. Underwent surgery a little while back, and it's so good to see you, Brother Charles, Miss Jennifer. We've been holding you up in prayer and thankful that the Lord's brought you this far. He's going to carry you all the way to heaven. Amen. So let's all gather around these altars together tonight. Let's pray for each other for these requests. And that the Lord would move in a special way in our hearts tonight as we gather around the Word of God. Y'all come pray. got a little brown book 312 in that brown book tonight sweet hour of prayer sweet hour of prayer that calls me from this world of care and it bids me Father's soul may call. 
I love this third one. I want to read these words to you, then we're going to sing it. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer. May I thy consolation share, till from Mount Pisgah's lofty height I view my home, listen to it, and take my flight. This robe of flesh (laughs) I'll drop and I'll rise. And to seize the everlasting prize. This is what we'll all do together. We'll shout while passing through the air. Farewell, farewell, sweet hour of prayer. One day we'll be living by sight. No more need to pray. No more need to live by faith. No more need to even cry. God is going to take care of everything problem that's represented in this room right here. Matter of fact, he's going to do it on a bigger scale than we could ever imagine. He's going to take care of every problem that every child of God has ever had. And you think about it. Think about it. We're going to be walking around one day. We're going to start to take that next step. And our foot's not even Just that quick. David said it like this. There is but a step between me and death. And one day we'll soar to the heavens. We'll be with Jesus. That in itself is going to be the consolation. Just being with the one who loved us enough to make it all possible. Thank God. Let's sing it together. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, may I thy consolation share till from my pitcher's lofty height I view. Take my flight This robe of flesh I'll drop and rise To seize the everlasting prize And I'll shout while passing God's people said, Amen. What a day that's going to be. Amen. All right. Thank you, orchestra.
Boy, did they do good tonight. Did they do good tonight. Oh, my word, my word. What a blessed people we are. Amen. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2 tonight. Acts chapter number 2. And uh, we're going to cover one of the most controversial subjects in the church today. And, and I pray that this study will be a blessing to all of you. Acts chapter number 2. I've got those copies for Acts chapter 2. Has everybody got a study sheet with you tonight? If you've not gotten one, if you'll come and they're... Yeah, they're right here on the table. You come and get you one. And uh, we're going to go through this together. And we're going to learn together what the Bible teaches about the truth. We're going to learn the truth about tongues tonight. And uh, pray that it'll be a blessing to you. <clears throat> Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we begin this study. And, and then we'll, uh, we'll look at it together. Our Father, tonight, Lord, as we've sung about it, it, Lord, rejoices our hearts to know that we can talk to the God of heaven, the God who created everything. Lord, you've lent your ear to us tonight. And Lord, have we sensed the Spirit of God moving in our midst already, and we're thankful that, Lord, not only can we know that you're with us, but, Lord, we can at times feel the presence of God, and we're thankful for it. And Lord, I'm so glad that I, I live and serve a God that's big enough to give us the feelings of life and, Lord, the confidence in life to know that you're right there with us. And, Lord, without that, Lord, there, this would be a, a nut house. But I'm thankful, Lord, to, not, to know that you're with us, Lord, in that special way of God. And, Father, as we gather ourselves together around the good word of God, we're praying and asking that you'd please touch us tonight, minister to our hearts that we might learn truth tonight and be set free by it. We love you, Lord, and we sure do thank you for loving us. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, and all of God's people say it. I want to read you something tonight before we get started. I was privileged, uh, Deb and I, last week to go to Brother Samuel's granddaddy's funeral up in Blairsville. And what was the preacher's name? I think he's kin to you, Brother Samuel. So. Tim Mason. Tim Mason, the preacher that preached his granddad's funeral, uh, did a tremendous job, said some things that just really blessed my heart. But he read something, and uh, I told uh, Mackenzie, I told uh, Brother Samuel's mother that I wanted that a copy of that. And, well, his mother had it, and she said, here you go. And it's, it's asked the question, what is dying. What is dying? And this uh, poem, I guess you would call it, is entitled The Ship. And it, it, it describes in a way, in a kind of in a parabolic way, it gives us an earthly illustration to describe what it means to die. This is what it says. I'm standing on the seashore and a ship sails in the morning breeze and starts for the ocean. She's an object of beauty and I stand watching her till at last she fades on the horizon and someone at my side says, she is gone. Gone? Where? Gone from my sight, that is all. 
She is just as large in the mast, hull, and spars as she was when I saw her, and just is as able to bear her load of living freight to its destination. The diminished size and total loss of sight is in me, not in her. And just at the moment when someone at my side says, she is gone, there are others who are watching her coming, and other voices take up a glad shout, there she comes. (laughs) That is dying. When they send down here, oh, Brother John's gone. Up in heaven, they'll be saying, here he comes. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> I like that. Oh, I'm so, I was blessed that day to go to that funeral service. I'll tell you what. Amen. Huh? Acts chapter 2 tonight. Let's look at our study sheets together. We're going to go through this together. And as I say, I pray that it'll be a blessing to you. Jesus has gone home. The position Judas left vacant has been filled and the disciples are in an upper room in Jerusalem waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. The second chapter of Acts is one of the most important passages in the Word of God. The birth, the beginning, and the boldness of the early church are revealed in the opening passage of Acts chapter 2. The events about to unfold are some of the most misunderstood and misapplied scriptures in the Word of God. The reason for so much confusion is the emphasis some place on the tongues of chapter 2. As we study through this chapter, it will become evident that the main emphasis is not the tongues, but rather the message Peter delivers to this mixed crowd of people. Things are about to drastically change for the disciples, but most of all, for the entire world. First, you know why it's going to change for the entire world? Because the church is just about to be born in Acts chapter 2. The church has never been in existence before, and this world is going to change in Acts 2. The Bible says in Acts 2, 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. The disciples had been told to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Holy Spirit. After the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, we know his body was laid in Joseph's tomb for three days. On the third day, Jesus arose and he was seen by a few close and chosen witnesses that day. Acts 1 informs us that he was publicly seen for 40 days. So, 43 days after the crucifixion, Jesus ascends back to heaven. And now, the day of Pentecost had fully come. This is important because Pentecost is a Jewish feast that occurs 50 days after their feast of Passover. Jesus was crucified on the day of Passover as the Passover lamb sent from heaven. The nation of Israel will observe this Passover feast according to the instructions recorded in the word of God. They would then number 50 days from the day of Passover and the feast of Pentecost would begin. The word Pentecost simply means 50 The manner of reckoning the 50 days would be derived from counting seven Sabbaths from Passover. Seven times seven is 49 days. 
And then the next day, there would be the day Pentecost would be observed. That means Pentecost always began on a Sunday. A Jewish Sabbath was always observed on Saturday, making the day of Pentecost observed on a Sunday. It is the only Jewish feast directly connected with the church. There are many beliefs and debates as to when the church actually began or was birthed into existence. This writer believes that this particular day of Pentecost was the day the church was birthed. This was a one-time event that happened on this particular day, and it has never happened as recorded in Acts 2 again. Some may claim they have had a Pentecost moment or imitate this event, but this is the day Jesus said would come. He told them in Acts 1 verse 4 and 5, And being assembled together with them, this is Jesus and his disciples, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. Using the expression, fully come, the day of Pentecost was fully come. Using that expression, fully come, in our text means that the full 50 days had finally arrived. For the Jews, each feast day required much preparation prior to the day the actual feast was observed. Now, it is here. And the waiting period for these disciples was over. Now let's consider the wind filling the tenants. In verses 2 through 4 of Acts 2, we read these words. And suddenly, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The disciples were assembled together and they were all with one accord when this happened. That doesn't mean they were in a Honda. Y'all understand that. They were, they were like-minded. They had been praying together. Prayer is the great unifier of any group of people. Families, churches, study groups, and others have been knit together as they earnestly pray in harmony. It has been said the family that prays together stays together. It is a shame that many churches have stopped utilizing prayer time by completely removing the prayer altars from their buildings or stopped giving an altar call at all. When God's people quit praying together, division and disharmony will settle in the hearts of God's people. While sitting together in prayer, without any announcement, the sound of a mighty rushing wind filled the house. Wind is one of the symbols used in the Bible to describe the Holy Spirit. Jesus likened the new birth of a believer as wind. And we read about that in John 3 verses 6 through 8 which says it like this. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not, Jesus said, that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth. 
Thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. This wind from another world fills the house and cloven tongues like as a fire set upon each of the disciples. When this happens, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, just as Jesus had promised. The sending of the Holy Spirit happened just like Jesus had said, and the disciples knew that Jesus had made it to heaven. Jesus had said that he would send the Holy Spirit after he returned to heaven. In John 16, 7, these words are recorded for us. Nevertheless, Jesus speaking, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter, talking of the Holy Spirit, will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. The cloven tongues were not actual fire. For the text says, like as of fire. It was like fire, but not fire. This is the only time recorded for us that this happened in this manner. This is important to understand because there is only one baptism of the Holy Spirit for every believer. Uh, in 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, we read these words. For by one Spirit are we all talking about every believer. Every believer has been baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been made all drink into one spirit. This baptism happens only once at the moment of salvation in every believer's life. Being baptized by the Spirit and being filled are two separate and distinct actions of the Spirit of God. Peter is baptized by the Spirit of God in Acts 2. But he is filled with the Spirit of God several times throughout the book of Acts. And I've got some references for you where it says that Peter being filled or being full of the Holy Spirit said did this. As Warren Wiersbe writes in his commentary, it says, he said this, The baptism of the Spirit means that I belong to His body. The fullness of the Spirit means that my body belongs to Him. The baptism is final. The fullness is repeated as we trust God for new power to witness. The baptism involves all other believers. For it makes us one in the body of Christ. While the fullness is personal and individual, these are two distinct experiences and they must not be confused. Some would say, well, you're just parsing words when you make a difference between baptism and fullness. But listen, words matter. And we, you wouldn't want to fly in an airplane and the pilot say, well, we, we might make it to the destination. You wouldn't want to fly, you wouldn't want to go to a doctor and the doctor tell you, well, take this medicine, but it don't matter, you might want to take this medicine. I mean, words matter. And so the baptism of the Spirit of God is a one-time event that happens to every child of God. But then after we are baptized, 
we are commanded in Scripture to be filled with the Spirit of God. This individual is personal. Not every child of God yields to that. But the feeling is something that will happen over and over and over and over in a child of God's life. The word cloven means divided or split. Everyone began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. The tongues will be interpreted for us further in this chapter. Now let's consider this, the wonder found in tongues. It says it like this in verses 5 through 13. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, what was happening to the disciples, the multitude of all these devout men, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers of Mesopotamia and all Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselyte, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt saying one to another, what meaneth this? Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. Remember, this is during a Jewish feast. The day of Pentecost was fully come. According to the law, every Jewish male was to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem three times a year during the seven feasts of Israel. Three feasts were celebrated during the first month of the Jewish calendar, Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. Fifty days later, the Feast of Pentecost, also called the Feast of Weeks, was observed and it was the only feast celebrated during that month. Then, in the seventh month, three more feasts were grouped together, trumpets, atonement, and tabernacles, as the final observance during the Jewish year. So all Jewish males were to come to Jerusalem three times a year during these feast times. And we read about this in Deuteronomy 16, 16, where it says, Three times in a year shall all thy males appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose. And we know that's Jerusalem. In the feast of unleavened bread, and in the feast of weeks, and in the feast of tabernacles, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty. When our text calls them devout, these devout men that came to hear what was going on, when the text calls them devout, it is denoting the fact that these men were devout to the commandment to make their journey to Jerusalem during these feast days. Sixteen different nations are named, including Rome, Mesopotamia, Asia, Arabia, and Egypt. Some of these Jews had traveled a long way to attend this feast. They all hear of what has happened to the disciples and they come to observe this phenomenon. When they arrive, 
They're confounded because every man from at least 16 different nations can hear and understand what the Galilean disciples were saying. The disciples were speaking in their language and every person in attendance understood in their own language what these Aramaic-speaking disciples were saying. What a miracle to emphasize this truth The visiting men say, listen to it, how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born. Allowing the scriptures to interpret what tongues are, verse 6 makes it clear when it states that every man heard them speak in his own language. Tongues are a language. The two words are used interchangeably in our text. It is not used to denote some mysterious heavenly language as some would claim, but rather it astounded them that they heard in their own language or tongue. There are no unknown tongues referred to or found in this passage. Some would claim that the tongues used in this passage were evidence that they had been baptized by the Holy Spirit. They further claim that every believer needs to have, needs this evidence for assurance of salvation. That teaching is not supported by the scriptures. The differing gifts given by the Spirit of God are said to be given as the Spirit wills. And we read about all of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul writes these words in verses 10 and 11 talking about the different gifts that are given, some of the different gifts. He said, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, discerning of spirits, to another, diverse kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these, all these gifts, worketh that one and self-same spirit. It's one spirit that gives all these different gifts dividing to every man, look at this, severally as he will. It's up to the Spirit of God to give a man a a particular gift. Further on in that same chapter, Paul asks some questions to accentuate this truth. I'm I'm going to read this as it is in the Word of God, and I want every one of you to answer these questions as as they're asked. Are all apostles? What's the answer to that? No. Not every person was an apostle. Are all prophets? What's the answer to that? No. Are all teachers? Is everybody blessed to be able to teach the Word of God? No. Are are all workers of miracles? No. Have all the gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. The answer to every question is no. To teach that every believer should pray to receive the gift of tongues is simply not scriptural. Also, what they refer to as tongues and what the Bible calls tongues are two separate things. Tongues are a language. The miracle at this particular feast was not that all the disciples were speaking in tongues, but rather that they were all speaking in Aramaic and what they were saying was understood by those who spoke Latin, Arabic, Swahili, 
and several other languages represented that day. The interpreter was the Holy Spirit who caused every person there to understand perfectly in their language what the disciples were saying. That is the whole purpose of the gift of tongues. The message needs to be clear and understood by everyone. Writing to the church at Corinth, Paul makes this point very clear. When he writes these words in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 6 through 11, he says, Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? And even things without life giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? So here, now he said all of that to draw on this. So likewise ye, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. The disciples would soon be traveling into parts of the world, and they would not have the time to study the many different languages they would encounter. The reason for the gift of tongues was to enable them to communicate with those they would interact with. By comparing scripture with scripture, tongues are a language. Following with that definition, an unknown tongue would be an unknown language. That is why Paul gave instructions to the Corinth church that if anyone spoke in an unknown tongue, they were to have an interpreter present so that all would understand. In 1 Corinthians 14, 19, we read these words. Yet in the church, Paul said, in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding with, so that somebody could understand what he was saying, that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. In 1 Corinthians 14, 27 through 28, it says this, If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two. At the most, two people could speak in an unknown tongue in the church. Or at the most, by three, and that by course. In other words, not all at one time. They had to do it one at the time, by course. And let one of them, one of the three, interpret what the other two were saying. But, look at this, if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. If people in a church begins, began speaking in tongues as it is taught by some today, there's no benefit gained by anyone present. So if anyone does speak in tongues, which is a language, they must have an interpreter present to translate what is being spoken. 
to teach that tongues are a heavenly language or prayer language is simply not supported by the Bible at all. The subject of the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 14, always remember this, the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 14 is dealing with the subject of the unknown tongue. The entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 14 is the use of the unknown tongues and how to properly use them. It also states that women are forbidden to speak in tongues. In 1 Corinthians 14, the entire chapter is dealing with unknown tongue. He says this, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Let your women, concerning unknown tongues, let your women keep silence in the churches. That doesn't mean a woman can't say amen. That doesn't mean a woman can't get up here and sing a special. The whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 14 is dealing with the subject of unknown tongues. And he said, when it comes to unknown tongues, shh, women, shh, shh, don't be doing it. He said, let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they're commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. It's an amazing thing. You read things like this, and to some it shocks them. I didn't know that was in the Word of God. But look at all that's being done in churches today and purported as speaking in unknown tongues, and it has nothing to do with Scripture. It doesn't line up with the Bible whatsoever. The modern day movement of speaking in tongues in the church is not scriptural at all. Some churches offer classes to teach someone how to speak in tongues. If the Spirit of God gives the gift of tongues to someone, they will not need to be taught by man. I was in India several years ago. This was in the 1990s. And had the opportunity to preach in several different meetings while there. I did not know the Hindi language, so I spoke in English with my southern drawl. That was a, quite the encounter for them. For the benefit of those who attended the meetings, the host preacher, which was Brother Suresh Dangadeve, the host preacher interpreted or translated what I was speaking in English into the Hindi language. This is the correct manner and order that God intended for unknown tongues to be ministered in the church. If there had been no one there able to interpret for me, there would be no need for me to preach for no one would have been able to understand what I was saying. Therefore, the Bible rule for a situation of that nature would be simply for the speaker to be silent. The purpose of the use of unknown tongues is for a non-believer to understand the message being preached. This is, this is a shocking voice, verse to a lot of people. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 22 and 23, the Word of God reads like this. It says, Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. If therefore the whole church be come together like some claim they're doing today, if the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? <laughs> God is the originator of all languages and understands them all. 
He understands Swahili. He understands Latin. He understands English. He even understands my wife when she talks. Amen. God is the originator of all language and understands them all. In the beginning, there was only one language among all people, and God did an amazing thing. In Genesis 11:1, it says, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. Then verses 3 through 9, And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them truly. And they had brick for stone and slime they had for mortar. And they said, Go to. Let us build us a USA. I've always been amazed at that USA. Us a city and a tower. Whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a USA name. Lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower. Which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they all have one language. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they imagine to do. Go to, let us go down. And there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel. Because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. I can just picture that. Men of that day, they were all together and they were all unified and, you know, speaking one language. And they all said, well, let's build us a tower. We're going to build it and it's going to, it's the top of it to reach all the way to heaven. And we can get to heaven all by ourselves. Our own way, we'll build us a tower. We'll do it our way. And so God comes down and he looks and he sees what's going on. Sure enough, it was going on just like he imagined. And God says, I know what I'll do. I'll just mess up their language. So there's workers in there and they're all working together. And one guy says in English, he says, hey, how about throwing me that pipe wrench? And when it comes out, he's speaking in Swahili. And the other guy speaking in, in, in Latin thinks that the guy cursed him. And so they get in a big fight. And the whole thing of building the tower falls all to pieces. I mean, they, get, they become confounded. They become confused. They, they are disoriented. They don't know what this one's saying. That one don't know what that one's saying. God confounded the languages to, to get them to separate themselves. Because God said, with one language, they'll, they'll do whatever they want to do. And they were, they were well on their way. The people of that day intended to build them a tower that would reach to heaven. It would have been man's efforts to get to heaven without God's involvement. To interrupt and stop their plans, God confused and confounded the language of the day. In contrast to the days of Babel, during this particular Pentecost, God caused everyone to understand the message of Jesus Christ that was preached. God can use language to separate men. But on this day, one day of Pentecost, God used some simple men speaking their own native tongue. And the miracle was that God caused everyone present to understand in their own language the wonderful works of God. That was the amazing thing 
about this day. That's simply what Acts chapter 2 is all about. Was, did that make sense to everybody? Did that help you? Did that, that, I remember when I was first saved, I remember I was, I was wanting anything that God had for me. I'd pray that God let me speak in tongues. Oh, God, let me have the gift of tongue. Please give me the gift of tongue. I never did. I have trouble with the one I've got. And sometimes I'm, I get so tongue-tied and messed up that my wife has to straighten me out when I get home. Amen. But I learned from the Bible what tongues was all about and why God instituted the gift of tongues in the Bible. It's plain and simple and you stay with what the scriptures say. Don't let... I remember uh, when I still pastored in, in Waycross, I remember there was a certain individual that began visiting our church. I'll tell you two illustrations and we'll close. There was a man began visiting our church and he was of another persuasion of church. But he liked our spirit and all. He liked my preaching. He liked everything about our church. So he began coming. And he was of the, of the mind that, you know, tongues was for every child of God. He, he said, you need, you need the gift of speaking in tongues. I said, for what? And he said, well, it just gives you assurance that you're saved. I said, I know I'm saved. I don't have to speak in tongues to understand that. I know from the word of God that I'm saved. I settled it with the book, not a feeling I had. And he said this, and we, we would talk back and forth about it, and we would converse back and forth about it. And I was trying my best to help him with it and so that he would understand the truth from God's Word. And this is what he finally told me. He said, I don't care what that book says. I know what I felt. There's no hope for anybody like that. You cannot put your trust in your feelings, your experience, you have to trust what the book says to know the truth. Can I get a witness right there? I'll tell you another illustration, and we got to get on because the children need to come back in here. I, again, I was pastoring in Waycross, and, and uh, we had just we hadn't been long in the new building that God gave us, and we were having a Wednesday night meeting, and I preached I preached this message. This was the title of my message. They ain't no needing stopping here. I told you I had a southern draw. They ain't no needing stopping here. That was my message. I don't know how you spell they ain't. I still had not figured out how to spell that word Miss Debbie uses all the time. I've never learned how to spell that word. Well, I preached that message on they ain't no needing stopping here. And in the course of that message, I used the whole... The, term Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit several times throughout the preaching of that message. Well, during the invitation, uh, several came down to the altars. They were packed around the altars. They were praying with this one lady. He had, matter of fact, her husband was kin to me. His last name was Dale. And uh, he and his wife came down to the altar. Well, she was from a different church. And she came down and I saw her. She started swaying back and forth. She was raising her hands sweating. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not mocking. I'm just telling you what happened that night. Started swaying back and forth and then she started speaking in tongues. Well, all of our people, it, it just befuddled them. They've never seen anything like that. And in just a minute, she fell out on the floor. I mean, passed out, cold, passed out. 
So I, I looked at her. I let her lay there. I mean, I figured she was comfortable, you know, just let her. I didn't make no motion or mention of it, you know, just let her lay there. In a little bit, when she saw nobody's going to pay her attention, she got up and went back to her seat. So after service, I called her husband, and I called him in my office. I said, Kyle, I'm going to talk to you about something. I said, now I'm going to know something before I talk to you. I said, I'm going to know something from you. I said, do you believe this book is the inspired word of God? Yes, sir, Brother John, I believe that. Yes, I said, now, I want you, you to be sure. You believe that book's the Word of God? He said, yes, sir. I said, Kyle, <laughs> I'll give you his name. I said, what your wife did tonight is forbidden in the Word of God for her to do. He said, do what? And I, I showed him. And I showed him from the Word of God what the Word of God said about women don't speak in tongues in the church. I said, now, if that's the inspired word of God, would the Holy Spirit inspire Paul to write those words and then inspire your wife to do what she did tonight? I said, they're two different things. They're t they, they contradict one another. I'm going to stick with the word of God, not what your wife did. He said, I never thought about that, Brother John. Thank you. Well, they we left service that night, left church, and, and Debbie remembers all this, and they didn't come back. I thought, well, I lost them. You know, I mean, that happens. I thought, well, I lost them. And about two, what was it, Deb? Two, two, three Sundays later, they walked back in, and his wife was glowing. And this is what she told. You were there, weren't you, Deb? This is what she told us. She said, Brother John, thank you for what you did. She said, I have been raised in a church that teaches tongues, and she said, I believe it was her mom said that when she was a little child, her mom would take her bottom jaw and do it like that and said, "This the, learn how to limber up your jaw and let your bottom jaw go so you can talk in tongues. And she said, I've been thinking all this time that I had to speak in tongues. And I felt like I was in bondage with it. She said, but I have been set free. I realize I don't have to talk in tongues. To know that I'm saved or to be saved or anything. She said, thank you. And, and if you believe what this book says, it will, what the Bible says, set you free. We are saved through Jesus Christ alone, not Jesus and an experience. Say amen right there. Amen. Well, if you got any questions, we'll, we'll be right back there between Janet and Pam tonight talking. You got some questions tonight, and you can ask him in just a minute. Let's all stand, and we'll be dismissed. <laughs> Last Wednesday night, I got cornered up by them two, and Sister Pat asked me 275 questions in a matter of five minutes. <laughs> Amen. Brother Marty, you did.